but I'm still, uh, I'm still quite weary. I'm still quite unwell in my head. And some of you probably say you've always been unwell in your head. Um, but honestly, the day after conference, uh, we, we set everything back up. We took, took all those chairs and everything in those different rooms we used and, and set that back up. And uh, that was Thursday. Ah, that was a Friday. And then, uh, and then I just died. <laughs> I, just, I was just basically bedridden for a few days and then all through last week, um, just on and off, very sick, um, you know, physically, but just even just in your head, can't really quite think clearly. And my family's sick, so Nicole's quite sick and Reese is sick, and I know we've been hearing that, everyone's sick, everyone's sick, everyone's sick. But just to say, it really does affect a lot of things. Um, and so even just coming to this, uh, pastor asked me to preach, uh, I think it was last Monday, and I said, I'm pretty crook, but I should be okay. Hopefully it doesn't last the whole week, and it ended up lasting pretty much the whole week. Um, but I believe God has something for us to look at here, and something that has impacted me uh, as I read it. And I think, for me, um, this story, or even just the story about David as a young man, is probably one of those ones for me that every time I read it, I just, I just love reading it. I just love seeing what's there. There's, there's so much in here. Uh, a little bit like Genesis and creation and God working with Adam and Eve. That's another passage that I just love. I just love it, reading it and reading it and reading it and just seeing what's in there, what God has placed in there for us. Um, so maybe that's why the Lord turned my attention to this. Um, but really this morning, I want to just pull out some things that God has shown me in, in this particular passage about David as a young man. Um, and, if, and you'll know I, I was unwell because the thing that I like to do first and foremost when I get a message together is to find a, a nice title for it, a nice catchy title, something that encapsulates the whole thing. And I could not do that. Even Nathan came into me, gave me the microphone this morning. He's like, what's your title? I'm like... I don't know. So I've called it this, Notable Things About David, and that is not very catchy, but that's what, that's what we're looking at here this morning, some notable things about David. Uh, and obviously, you know, David's life spans many years and uh, many things, um, but really we're just going to focus on the first time we see him in the scriptures here as a young boy. Um, so I'll just start with this. When reading about Saul and David, it's often intrigued me that David was chosen at such a young age to be the second king of Israel. Uh, I've always thought, you know, it, it's interesting how that all panned out with, with Saul being chosen and then that not working out and then God anointing David and just how that took place. That still in some ways boggles my mind, um, but it, it does speak a little bit about what God looks for and how he uses people. Um, and clearly the Lord saw many good things in David and about David and saw much potential in him. Uh, and so for God to describe him as what we know him as, a man after God's own heart, that makes me even more want to look into, okay, what is it about this young teenager that, that God saw? And what is it about this young teenager that we can learn, no matter what our age because I, I look at, I read about David as a young teenager, and I have this uh, this this this, um, this problem with my head that I think I'm a young teenager still, and I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that. And then I realise actually I'm quite old now, um, but that might be the same for you. As you hear, okay, David is a, as a young teenager, 
maybe that's not you know so relevant to you, but really I think everyone can learn something from the life of David. And uh, so let's have a look at some of these things this morning. Um, and so this this uh, passage or this phrase, sorry, that God uses about da- David being a man after his own heart, really that's what we as Christians should be aspiring to be. We should be aspiring to be Christians after God's own heart. Otherwise, what are we doing? Otherwise, why are we here? And look, I get this morning there may be some here that are trying to find out about God and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that Um, but as Christians and those who've been saved for a period of time what else are we going to be doing except for being Christians that seek to be after God's own heart that should be our impetus for going forward and uh, being someone after God's own heart is not something that you can fake you can't fake that I mean, I, I, I've said this probably many times before. I loved acting as well when I was growing up and I, I studied acting, studied drama and theatre and, and did plays and all that sort of stuff. And I liked being someone different on the stage to who I was off the stage. But at the end of the day, I'm not fooling myself. I might be fooling the, the crowd, but I'm not fooling myself and I'm not fooling God. And as Christians, it's the same thing. We can't fake being a person after God's own heart. You can look a certain way to other people, but God sees and identifies clearly whether you are or aren't someone who is after the things that he is after. And David was very much this. He was was very much the same all the way through who he is as a person or who he was as a person. Now, it might sound strange, but when I think of David, I think of a piece of fruit. Okay, not, not any particular piece of fruit. I don't think of him as a banana or an apple or a mango or anything like that. But go with me here, if you can, with my strange thinking, that I think of David as a piece of fruit in the sense that when, when God made food, and you think particularly of things like fruit and vegetables, when you eat that piece of fruit, and whatever it is, you can pick your favourite fruit. I'm not going to limit you to whichever fruit you want to think of this morning. But when you when you pick that fruit and you start eating it, you are eating that fruit all the way to the core. It's like, duh, that's what it is, right? Like it's a banana. So when I peel that skin off and I eat that banana, I'm not finding anything else except for banana. And you might say, oh, well, what about an apricot? Like you eat an apricot and you're eating, 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 and then you get to a stone. Yeah, okay, I guess you got the seed inside of some of these things. But the flesh, everything that, that that fruit is, is that fruit all the way down to the core. There's not these different layers of different surprises that God placed in, in the fruit that he made. He just made it as it is, and it's that all the way to the core. And so that's why I say I liken David to that, because when you see and read and hear about David, yeah, he had some bruises like a fruit does, but he was the same all the way to his core. He was a man after God's own heart in many different situations across many years and many problems and, and all that sort of stuff. And so anytime you take a bite out of the life of David, he's still a man after God's own heart. And he had some, some, some rough bits and some bad patches and all that sort of stuff, but he still was who he was all the way through. And that's why his, his life kind of intrigues me a little bit. But I think as Christians, 
it should intrigue us because it's such a good example of being a Christian after God's own heart. And God spoke about David this way through Samuel, even before we see David's name mentioned in Scripture. And you don't have to turn there, but chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. He said, Samuel said that to Saul, like, this is what God is after. He's looking for someone who is a man after his own heart. And who did that turn turn out to be? It turned out to be David. It turned out to be David as a teenager. So so God was looking for a man after his own heart and had already picked out a young boy, someone who we would probably all overlook, but God saw his heart. So I want to look at some qualities that contributed to David being that man after God's own heart this morning. And things that we see in this teenager's life, they're all relevant to each of us today, no matter our age. So in 1 Samuel here, we're going to look at a few of these verses. Uh, and basically, the background here is that Saul has been told by the prophet Samuel that the kingdom will be, be removed from him. And God instructs Samuel, the prophet, to anoint a new king, which will be David, the son of Jesse. So if you flick uh, forward a little bit to uh, chapter 16, verse 11, 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. And we read here where Samuel's come uh, to David's village, basically, his town, and he's come to anoint the new king. It says this in verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? Because he'd already gone through the other seven sons and hadn't found someone to anoint. And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So Samuel comes to Jesse and says, Hey, I'm going to anoint one of your sons, and I don't even know who it's going to be. Line them all up. He lines them all up, and God says, No, 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 no. And he's like, Hey, do you have anyone else? Because God's clearly sent me to you. He said, Oh, yeah, I've got another son. He's keeping the sheep. Well, Bring him in because we're not going to finish this until we go through everyone. And so basically my, my point here is that David had no need or desire to promote himself as king. He was actually called to the anointing. David was called out of what he was doing, just being an obedient teenager, keeping the sheep that his dad asked him to keep, and he was actually called out to be anointed. Now, I'll ask you this, who has, who has younger siblings here? Even if you're an older person, who has younger siblings here? Okay, most of us have younger siblings here. Who understands that younger siblings, just somehow they can find out what's going on? They, they, you know, it doesn't matter how many of you are there in the family, it doesn't matter what the big news is, but they can somehow just sneak around and find out what's going on. And you think about David, I'm not saying he was like a little mischievous boy, but he was the youngest of eight sons. He might have had an inkling what was happening. I mean, Samuel's coming to their town. It says in verses before that people were actually scared that Samuel was coming to their town. So there might might have been a little bit of talk about it. And David is the only one out of the sons that's not there. He might have heard that this was happening, yet he was actually asked to come to the anointing. He didn't go, oh, you know what, I'm just going to check it out and like be out of my place and see what's going on and be this inquisitive little... No, no, no. He's like, I have a job to do and I'm going to do it. And then he actually got promoted. He actually got brought to the anointing. He actually got called up himself. 
And we have to be careful that we don't push ourselves to the front of the line of Christianity when it comes to being used of God. Because we can see, we might be able to see what's happening and other people are, you know, being used or being promoted or there's, there's, a, there's an air of something that God's going to do. We're going to make sure that we don't push ourselves to the front of that, but rather that we're asked to step forward. And you might say, oh, I don't do that, but it's always a temptation. It's always a temptation for us. And the more that you get serving and doing more for the Lord, and not even just necessarily in the church, but just being his servant, it can be tempting to push yourself a little bit further in front of the line. And hey, who likes people that push in front of lines? Yeah, see, nobody puts their hand up then. Nobody likes people that push, put, their, put, put themselves forward in a line. And so I have a verse here, 1 Peter 5. You don't have to turn there. Verse 5 and 6. It says this, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then, then, then there's this instruction, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So it's actually God that does the exalting and it's actually God's timing when that exaltation happens. But it actually doesn't come unless you are clothed with humility. And this is the first time we even read about David being being in any story at all. And he has been asked to come to this. You might say, oh, that's stretching a little bit far, but I think you'll find team this with everything else that we look at and everything else you already know about David He was clothed with humility. He was a young boy that was humble and he let God exalt him. And we can even learn that from this young teenager himself. The second one is this, that David's character was seen in his approach to all that he did. His character was seen in his approach to all that he did. It wasn't just about him being a good uh, shepherd boy. It wasn't just about him, you know, doing whatever mum and dad said all the time. His, his approach and everything that he did came out in his character and other people saw that. And I'll show you that in just, a, in just a minute. But it was seen and spoken of by people outside of his family. Now, 1 Samuel 16 verse 14, uh, Saul is troubled by an evil spirit. This happens just after David is anointed. Saul's troubled by an evil spirit. And Saul's servant suggests to him to find a cunning heart player to relieve him of that evil spirit. And uh, that just goes to show, side point, that there's a lot of power in good music that it can actually relieve of, of evil spirits. That's interesting. But 1 Samuel 16 verse 18, this is what the servant said. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is, and listen to what he says about David that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Now think about this. David's probably around about 15 to 17 years old at this stage. And this description of him comes up when they're just talking about, hey, who can play a harp really well? And this servant thinks of, somehow knows about David and says, hey, I actually know someone who plays the harp really well. He's very cunning in playing. And then he goes on to say he's a mighty valiant man, a man of war, a comely person, the Lord's with him. Like 
he gives this whole description of what David's like, this young teenager, and they were just talking about, hey, who can play an instrument well? Now that says something. Do you understand that? That says, that says a lot about his character, that they weren't talking about, hey, who's the best young person in the, in the whole town? That wasn't the discussion that they were having. All they were looking for was someone who could play the harp well and yet this servant identifies all these other aspects of David. I wonder why that is because I think the fact that David could play the harp well was just one aspect of his character that just came out of him desiring to to, to be a man after God's own heart. He did that really well. He kept the sheep really well. He was a comely person. He He was strong. He was courageous. He was obedient. He, he was willing. He was all of these things. And, it, and this servant, who, who even knows who this servant is? But they've identified in David all of these other aspects of him. And that speaks about the fact that he has a good heart, that his character was a good character, that he actually cared about all the different things that he put his hand to. Hey, can I ask you this? Do you care that much about every single thing that you put your hand to? Or just the things that other people think are important? Like, I could ask, you know, if the people who play the instruments here, hey, do you care as much of, as playing your instrument as you do about A, B and C in your life? But the same question could be asked about me. Hey, do you care about these things as much as you care about opening the Bible? Because guess what? All that I put my hand to is a representation of, of God in my life at some level. Other people are seeing that. There's a testimony that people are seeing. There's a character that people are seeing. And David was just doing what was good, what was right before the Lord, and people just saw it. He didn't have to promote himself. He didn't have to go, hey, guess what? I can play the harp really well, and also I'm really like this. No, he didn't do that. He just was who he was, and people ended up seeing it. David David handled himself in such a way it permeated through all that he did. And I think this, this is just my assumption, okay? I think he saw himself as a man after God's own heart because I think he purposed to be that. I think God identified it, but I think he also saw himself as that because he wanted to be that. He wanted to be a man after God's own heart, even as a 15-year-old boy. I think he purposed to be that and others saw it. And I think that's the correct way that we should view our Christianity, that it's for God and others may notice rather than it being about others and God might notice. Does that make sense? That our Christianity should be first and foremost for God and then other people might notice us. But if the, 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 the alternative is, and it's not that good, is that we, we play the Christian part for other people and then, oh, God might notice what I do. I think David was the first one. I think he said, nah, my playing on the harp, it's for God. My, my keeping of the sheep, it's, it's for my father, my, for my household, but it's actually for God. Uh, me as a, as a person, just my integrity, it's for God. So he cared about everything being for God. And then guess what? The byproduct of that was other people noticed. And wouldn't you like the byproduct of you serving God is that other people take notice, not of you, but of what God is doing in you and through you. And that's the kind of Christian that I want to be. That's the kind of Christian I want people to see me to be. 
And so the narrative here takes us from David's anointing to ministering before King Saul. He gets asked to, to play for him. Uh, to then the battle against the Philistines where Goliath comes out to taunt the Israelite army. And David's been sent down by his dad to bring food to his brothers and finds himself in the middle of probably very confronting circumstances. Uh, there's people here, so he, he, he's, been, he's been working with King Saul. He's actually, between being at King Saul's, he's actually going back home and still looking after sheep. So he's actually doing both jobs. And then his dad says, hey, uh, your brothers are down at the battle because everything's happening. Uh, can you go take this food down to them and see how they are? So he does what his dad says. He goes down and there's just people everywhere. There's people set to battle. There's a big giant making threats. He's talking really loud and scaring everyone, uh, scaring all these soldiers. Uh, there's people talking about a prize for killing this big giant. Uh, there's a lot going on and David like just enters in and no doubt it's like probably one of the first times he's seen something like that. And I think for most of us that would be a pretty, pretty scary situation to be in. And have a look here in 1 Samuel 17. We'll just read a couple of verses here, verse 25 and 26. So David enters into this whole space and all this is going on around him. Verse 25 and the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? They're talking about Goliath. Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So that's what they're talking about. That's what the soldiers are talking about. So there's the Philistine army and the Israelite army and they're, they're basically set against each other and then you've got Goliath in the middle who's coming down for 40 days straight and just basically defying the Israelite army, defying God, saying all this sort of stuff, you know, calling names, just making threats, he's making them scared and there's all these soldiers who are standing around scared but at the same time they're talking about, hey, you know what the prize is for taking that guy out? You get to marry the king's daughter and your family gets to be free. And so David enters into this and look here in verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. You know, David wasn't going, hey, what was that prize again? He wasn't actually caring about what the prize was. He didn't care that, you know, you got to marry the king's daughter or he didn't care about your father's house would be free. He was saying, hey, 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 are you listening to this? This guy is defying God's army. This guy is defying everything that you guys should be standing for. Now, he wasn't having a go at them, but you could just see his heart after God's own heart, coming out again in this situation. It came out before when he was just looking after his sheep. It came out when he was before Saul playing on the harp. And now it's coming out again in front of all these strangers, lots and lots of people that he doesn't even know. And he's saying, hey, we should be focused on the fact that this guy is being a reproach to Israel. We should actually worry about the fact that he is defying the armies of the living God, our God, my God. It should be your God as well. So he's basically, he's giving them a bit of a pep talk. And he's maybe 17 years old. 
But this was coming out of him because it was his heart to just do everything as unto the Lord. And David was living for a cause. He wasn't interested in fighting Goliath for the fame or for the prize or even for the experience. He was living for a cause. And it's got to be asked, and I wonder it of myself, is that how I live my Christianity? Do I live my Christianity for the cause of Christ? Like I come to church for the cause of Christ, but do I live for the cause of Christ? You know, I I pray and I read my Bible for the cause of Christ, but do I live day by day, moment by moment for the cause of Christ? Because that looks like what David was doing. Day by day, moment by moment, whatever he's found himself in, he's living for the cause of Christ. Or are we focused on what other Christians promote? What other Christians talk about? What other Christians make big? Like, what's the prize there? Is that what we're worried about? You know, even his own brother accused him of his motive for being there. Look in verse 28. His eldest, so David's the youngest out of eight, and Eliab is the eldest. Verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. I think there was a bit of jealousy there. And he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? And look what he says to him. I know thy pride. Have you seen any pride in David yet? I haven't. And the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So he's basically having a go at David and saying, what are you doing here? You come in here amongst my friends, amongst the people that I'm with, and you're sprouting your little philosophy. What are you doing? You just want to see what's going on. You're just the annoying little younger brother who just wants to get into things. That's that's how Lyab's talking to him. And think about this. If anyone can intimidate, it's an older brother. And it's an older brother around their friends. I have an older brother and he could intimidate me and he could definitely intimidate me when his friends were around. And then I show him who's boss. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but in all honesty, that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's the power of family that, that family can have. But look at David's response. It shows his heart. Verse 30. So Eliab's just like had a go at him. And verse 30, David said... What have I now done? And then he asks this question, is there not a cause? Hey, hey, you can say that I'm down here for this reason and that reason. Everyone here can be talking about this thing and that thing and that prize. But isn't there a cause? Aren't we an army or aren't you guys an army for a cause? For the cause of the the, the living God? So he's basically trying to to reset thinking back to, hey, it's actually supposed to be about God. Don't try and pinpoint it on me because you don't want me to be here. Is there not a cause? And hey, that's a really good question to ask someone if they don't like what you're saying about Christianity. Hey, is there not a cause? When you're you're trying to set things right or do things for the Lord, is there not a cause? Because it's not about, I'm not doing this for me. Hey, hey, think about it. Even just this morning, I'm not getting up here to speak just for me. Is there not a cause? We've been asked to gather together as a church by God to hear his word, to sing unto him, to give unto him, to fellowship with one another. Is there not a cause? Isn't that why we're here? It's like someone walking in and we go, hey, what are you doing here? And they say, well, is there not a cause? 
It's actually the cause is Christ. And so this is what David was about. Think about it. You would assume these, these soldiers would be the ones impacting David to join them and fight with them and influencing them, but rather how he spoke about the cause made them take notice. And look here in verse 31. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. So David's going around just being that piece of fruit all the way to the core that he always is, a man after God's own heart, and it's just coming out of him wherever he is. And the, the soldiers that are scared about Goliath standing out there, they start taking notice of him and saying, hey, this guy, this guy sees things differently. Have you heard this guy? Come and listen to what this guy's saying. And then basically that gets back to Saul. And Saul goes, what? There's a young kid talking about the cause of Christ, saying that this is why we are here and we should be doing something about it. Go and get him. Bring him to me. And again, Saul, uh, again, David has been now exalted. David has now been asked to come forward. He's actually been anointed before, but now he's being asked to come before the king for this very reason. And it's only because he just cares about what the Lord cares about. So everything that I'm identifying here that the Lord's shown me, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing to us as a church for us to think, is that me as a Christian? Is that what I do as a Christian? And you know what? Look, at, look in verse 30. So after Eliab, his brother, you know, has a go at him, he says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And look what he does after this. And he turned from him toward another. So big brother having a go, probably trying to embarrass him. And David re recalibrates back to, you know what, there is a cause. And he just turns away and talks to someone else about it. Now what's important about that? Well, think about it. 17-year-old kid being picked on by his big brother. Hey, wouldn't you want to argue about it? Wouldn't you want to go back and forth and, you know, sling a few back? But David actually goes, you know what, I'm not going to get caught up in petty arguments because you might think you know why I'm here, but I know why I'm here. I'm here for the Lord. So I'm going to just turn away and I'm going to talk to someone else who might want to hear about this. And, you know, you can beat me up later, basically. That's probably... He might have been thinking that. But think about it. How often do we get caught up in unnecessary arguments, in petty arguments, the things that distract us from the cause of Christ? You know, whether it's individually, whether it's as a family, or whether it's even just as a whole church, how many times do we get caught up in arguing these things that really are taking us away from the cause of Christ that we're supposed to be focusing on? So I'm just talking here this morning about things we can learn just from David's character. And that's something that I can learn because there's so many things that I want to argue back. There's so many things I want to say, no, 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 it's this and I'm right about this. But actually, it's probably just an unnecessary argument that's going to distract me. So not only does he, he settle that with his brother and he talks about other people and Saul, get, Saul sends for him, his faith inspired others and he wasn't even trying to force it on them. So he, he would have inspired a bunch of those soldiers and probably, probably even King Saul himself and he wasn't trying to force it on them. He was just being the man after God's own heart that he knew how to be. 
Another thing is this. I've got a couple more and then we're done. Another thing is this, is that David didn't let promotion go to his head. He didn't let promotion go to his head. It's so tempting for us to use our position or our title to win an argument or at least help us make a point. Uh, But he never once, we never see him referring to the fact that he had been anointed. Think about that. He'd been anointed and not become king straight away, but that's, that's, that's God's doing right there, God's choice right there. He knew that he was God's choice. His, his brothers, his family knew that he was God's choice. Samuel knew because Samuel was the one who anointed him. So he knew he was God's choice to be king, yet he didn't throw that around like some kind of badge. He didn't say, oh, well, you know what, you can just stop that alive because I'm the one out of all of us that got anointed. He didn't throw that around. Even, even before King Saul, we don't see him bragging about the fact that, hey, guess what, I'm going to take your spot. He didn't do that. But hey, how many times would we like to do something like that? How many times would we like to take our position, take out, take out our prominency or whatever it is, take our influence and use it to, 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 to win an argument or to get our point across? And you think about it, even as a parent sometimes, you can do that as a parent. I'm the dad here. Like, or why don't we just like, be who we're supposed to be and let our character speak for ourselves? And I get it. Sometimes you have to say, I'm the dad and you're the child. I get it. You've got to say that sometimes. But we don't need to throw those things around. We just have a good character and let those things come forth out of us. I hope that makes sense, but I, th- I think that's, that's what I see here with David. And he continued to show that his heart was after God's own heart. So from here, David's brought before King Saul, and now he's got the king's attention and volunteers himself to take on the giant that nobody wants to fight. And have a look here in verses 32 to 37, and that's what um, Brother Daniel read for us. But what's interesting here in those verses, 32 to 37, is David recounts his slaying of a lion and a bear when he was being the shepherd boy. And he likens Goliath to one of those animals. So you probably know the story, and we obviously read it just before, but he comes before Saul and says, hey, you know what, I'm going to take this guy out. And Saul's like, hey, what are you talking about? He says, well, when I was looking after my father's sheep, there came a lion and there came a bear and they took one of the lambs and they went off with it and then I chased them down and I delivered that lamb out of their mouth and I smote them, I killed them. The lion and the bear and Goliath, he's going to be the same as those. And he's not bragging, he's not like puffing himself up, he's just saying, hey king, I believe that I can do this, I believe that the Lord's opened this door for me to do it and he's shown himself strong in this other situation that, that has come across my path. Now, every time I, I, I read this passage or I hear about uh, David and talking about the lion and the bear and Goliath, I don't know if you do the same thing, but I, I think of it, I've always thought of it like this, that David is a really young boy looking after his father's sheep. He's out there and he's protecting those sheep and the lion comes and maybe at another time the bear comes and he's slowly building up his courage slowly building up his skill sets, slowly building up his, you know, whatever it is. 
He's, he's building it up and up as these things come across his path. And think about it like this when maybe you used to play computer games, you would often get different levels of your computer game and it'd be like you're on level three. And so you go through level three and at the end of level three, there's this huge big boss you have to fight. So during level three, there's all these little tiny ones and maybe you're picking up weapons and doing stuff like that. But at the end of level three, you get to a big boss and you've got to utilise everything you've learnt through level three to defeat that really big boss. And then you defeat that big boss and guess what? Level four comes along and then there's actually bigger enemies that come in level four. And then in through level four, you're building up to a big boss at the end of level four, and it just goes on and on and on until you get to the end of the game. It's a huge big boss that takes four hours to defeat. Don't waste your time on computer games. <laughs> but that's how I always thought of David with the lion and the bear and then Goliath, that he was building, building, building. But I don't think he was. I don't actually think that's how he was approaching this. Let me ask you this. What would you rather go up against? A lion, a bear, or just a really big guy in armour? Yeah, neither. Yeah, but you've got to pick one, right? So would you rather go up a lion and a bear or up against just a really tall guy with some armour? I'd rather take the guy with the armour. Honestly, who wants to go up against a huge big bear? Who wants to go up against, yeah, whatever, bro. <laughs> Who wants to go up against a lion? Like, you think about it. These are like, that's the things of nightmares. Like, and have you ever seen a bear attacking a person? It's crazy. It's like you don't want to be anywhere near that. But a, a man with some armour and, and a spear and a sword and a guy with a shield in front of him, hey, that's scary. And yes, he's tall. But I'd still, I'd still take that over a wild beast that I don't know how they're going to react. I don't know what they're going to do. Okay, So think about this. David's already come across against the ones that some of you are saying, nah, it's too easy. He's already come across those. Like how tall is a bear when they stand up on their hind legs? How scary is a bear? And, and think about it, this, in these verses, 32 to 37, he talks about the fact that he, he got the lamb out of the mouth and then he had a, a close combat with this animal. And I don't know if it was the bear or the lion. He says the beard, so maybe the lion. But basically, this close to the lion. So he's already shown immense amount of courage, but an immense amount of trust in the Lord through killing the lion and the bear. So I don't think he's working up to the bigger enemy. I don't, I don't think Goliath was much of a bigger enemy than the lion and the bear in David's sight. I just think it was another enemy. And this time it was an enemy that could articulate words against his God. See, the lion and the bear didn't do that. But that's what made this one different is, yeah, it's a big, scary, ugly looking thing. But so were those. But this one is talking about my God. And so I want to do something about that. I already did something about these other ones because it was actually just my responsibility. That was David's character coming out. I'm looking after these sheep, so I'm going to take on that big scary thing because 
I need to look after these sheep that I'm supposed to look after. That's my job. And I want to do this before the Lord. And that's why he did that. But then he comes across this opportunity now to take on Goliath. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to see what my skills can do in this level four. He, he wasn't looking at it like that. He's going, no, no, no. God's already shown himself strong through me. And now this person is defying God. Well, I'm actually going to ask for God's help with that as well. So I don't think it was necessarily this progression like this, even though at some level it is. I think David just saw it as yet another enemy that God can help him with. He was taking his courage with him wherever he went. He was taking his God with him wherever he went. He said Goliath would be as one of them. 1 Samuel 17, 36. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Why? Because he'd already fought some big things? No. He says this in that same verse. Seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David saw it as a matter of justice and responsibility and a part of this cause that he was for. So he heard Goliath saying these things. He's brought before the king and now has opportunity to do something about it. And he's not just going, hey, hey, Saul, I've, I've done this and this and this, so I'm, I'm the guy for the job. He's like, give me the job. Why? Because he says he's defied the armies of the living God. That was his motivation. It was a righteous motivation. It wasn't just so he can go, yep, I want to marry your daughter. Or it wasn't so he could just rub it in Eliab's face. It's because he defied the armies of the living God. He defied God. So he wants to do something about it. So give me the job. That's basically what David's saying. He saw it as a matter of justice, responsibility and part of the cause. And David's courage, boldness, passion for justice, obedience and desire seen in his defiance against Goliath was exactly the same as defending the sheep against the lion and the bear. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He just seemed to find a way to bring God into the conversation or into the situation. And as Christians, that's something that we need to do. Find a way to bring God into our circumstance. Find a way to bring God into the solution of the problems that we face. And remember what he's already done and that he's the same God that can help you with this, this new thing. David didn't see the need for anything extra to fight in this new battle. And we're not going to read it all, but you know, obviously Saul says, hey, you're just a youth, you can't fight this guy. Hey, put on my armour, put on my things and protect yourself. But he identified that fighting Goliath would take just as much reliance on the Lord as fighting those animals. And he didn't seem phased by not being able to wear Saul's armour or any armour because his confidence wasn't in the armour. It wasn't about the fact that that armour didn't fit him, so he's like, okay, I guess I've got to go out like a lamb to the slaughter. He wasn't phased by the fact that that armour didn't fit him. He's like, no, 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 the Lord delivered me out of that and that. He's going to deliver me out of this. His confidence was in God, not in the armour. An unfamiliar enemy calls for the same familiar God to help. An unfamiliar enemy calls for the same familiar God to help. 
Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That's what he was saying to Goliath. So he gets out on the battlefield and Goliath's still spitting out all these different things. And David says in verse 47, you know what? I'm going to come against you and God's going to take you out. Why? Because this whole assembly will know that it's not about the weapons that we use. He doesn't, he doesn't save according to the weapons. He saves because it's his battle. And I'm just one of his men. And that's how we as a church need to see our Christianity it's actually God's battle. I'm not going to get distracted by all these other things. And actually, it's God who helps me fight the fight. Amen. It's God who actually fights for me. I just need to be in my place. I need to have my good character. I need to be about the cause of Christ. And God will do everything for me. I need to have trust that God is able to fight this battle. That it's not, it's not all on me and my abilities. It's actually about God himself. And David identified with his God. This is my last point. David identified with his God. Look in verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Right up until the end, he's still talking about is there not a cause? You have defied God. And I'm not anything special. I've just been in the right place at the right time. God's chosen to see fit to place me here and allow me to do these things and have this influence and he's used my life and all this sort of stuff. And Goliath, guess what? God is the one who's going to defeat you. It's not about me. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I don't come to you in the name of my, my, my staff or my sling. He used, that. he used that, but that's not what his confidence was in. His confidence was that God could direct that. His confidence was that God could use that. So for us as a Christian, we need to remember that it's not about our fanciness. It's not about our abilities, but it is about our character before the Lord, and he will use that because he deserves the glory. He deserves people to see, oh, that thing happened in that person's life. That's actually God doing that. That thing happened in that church's life. That's actually God doing that. And that's what we need to be about. We need to be about the cause of Christ. We need to be about the things that God cares about. And so for, for this, this morning, these are just things that have stood out to me about David's character, a man after God's own heart. Some of these things are really tiny. Like they seem almost insignificant. But actually, it all is all building up to just someone who loves the Lord and just wants to be used of him. And that's what a good Christian can be, is just someone who just wants to be used of the Lord and is just sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then God just uses that and elevates and, and he gets his, his work done. And so I hope that's a help this morning. Uh, it was a help to me just reading over those passages. And obviously, there's a whole lot more in the life of David. Uh, but this is actually enough to be be chewing on this morning. So let's just pray and then I'll hand over to, to Charles. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the opportunity today uh, just to gather together, though many of us are unwell and away, Lord God. Uh, we thank you that you are still here in our midst. We thank you that your word still has power. We thank you, Father, that you are not finished with us. You still have a work for us to do. 
And I thank you, Lord, that you strengthen each one. I pray, Father, you would help us as we go out into this week, uh, that, Lord, we would look to you, and that, Father, we would rely on you. Help us to be humble, clothed with humility, Lord, as we face the circumstances around us. And may we be about the cause of Christ, Lord God. Help us not to be distracted by other things, uh, by petty things, Lord God, or insignificant things, but help us to keep you as our main focus. Lord, we know that you're still not willing that any should perish. There are many still to come to know you. And Father, I pray that you would use us as a church uh, to reach the lost and uh, to minister to those who need it, Lord God. Father, we thank you for meeting with us today. We thank you for answering our prayers. And we do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.